and we're live with another episode of quarantine at harvard i i really do enjoy these shows especially at the time of recording so like 10 30 at night and to me personally this is just a personal take i i absolutely love these late night conversations uh maybe that's why yo yo maybe that's why we have a lot of these like late night talk show hosts to like bring on guests at late well actually no they tape them during they tape them like five or six uh never mind but the point of yeah the point of podcasting at night though is you know when you're tired your inhibitions fall away and really interesting stuff can come out so hopefully we'll see that here but i'm getting ahead myself i think we should introduce our guests here today we have leo and john here in the house with us as long as 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 well as our co-host here fez um John, why don't you start us off with a quick intro? I'm sure you've done this so many times here already, but might as well yeah, once more. That's very true. I, lo- I love the uh, I love the uh, what's your major question that's gotten so old at this point. Um, yeah. yeah. Hi, I'm John Deneen. I'm from uh, South St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm currently staying in Matthews Hall in Harvard Yard, and I'm hoping to study chemistry and physics. And Leo? Yeah, uh, I'm Leo Barrera. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, right now, I'm in the yard. I'm staying in Lionel Hall. And my intended concentration is government with a secondary in education. Oh boy, I love to hear that secondary in education. Yeah, when, when David hears the word education, it's like music to his ears. Right, right, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm definitely, I'm definitely very entrenched in that setting, but not to an obsessive degree at all. But I think, in many ways, I think we all have vested interest in education, given that we've all had more or less twelve years of it. <laughs> I mean, you know, twelve years of anything will most likely deem you at least, you know, someone familiar with the subject. But um, I mean, all of us come from, I'm sure, different walks of life when it comes to even just our education. Like for me, I, I went to your cookie cutter public education system, whatever district you were in, that's where you went to. The high school was the closest one you went to. But I understand, especially talking with a lot of students here, there's charter schools, there's magnet schools, there's private schools, there's Montessori schools, um, just the whole smattering. I'm curious for you guys. I mean, even Fez, I don't even know uh, if you attended public or private, but let's give a rundown here. Um, Fez, where did you go to in high school? Yeah, so I attended uh, private school from second grade to eighth grade, and then ninth through twelfth, I was at a public school in Des Moines. I attended Theodore Roosevelt High School, so pretty close to downtown, uh, a part of the Des Moines Public Schools. I think there were around, I don't know, maybe around two thousand students. I want to say so very. All different. right. Um, it was it was definitely a nice shift from I think the private school setting I had because that was like small class sizes of around fifteen students, which was also absolutely great. And then it was interesting then being exposed to. Um, just more diversity from a socioeconomic perspective, from a cultural perspective. Uh, so I think I was lucky to get the best of both worlds there. Mm-hmm. And what about you, John? Yeah, I went to the classic public school, uh, South St. Paul Secondary. It was just the, uh, like you said, the local cookie cutter. <laughs> yeah. uh, I was about, I think we started with about 220 my freshman year, and we dropped down to about 180 per class. And, uh, oh. Senior, oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and Leo? Yeah, I went to a... I- charter school my whole life actually uh it was the same charter school network so i was uh i entered in kindergarten and then through senior year i was kind of the same same group of people in my life so like coming here was definitely like really good to make friends that i hadn't known since since we were kids uh but yeah it's a uh, it was it was quite the time man yeah talk about consistency like for me i i moved around i was born in utah uh moved to california and then moved to multiple places in California. Um, so yeah, I, I got a sampler plate of, of a lot of places. Um, but 
you know, it's it's certainly something admirable to have like a consistent experience and uh, throughout your K twelve. But now we are all here. We are under the umbrella of Harvard Education, something that we can share a commonality with. And one thing that is coming up really soon, or at least literally now, is midterms. And I just wanted your thoughts because honestly, October, right? October. We're in October and there's midterms, right? Uh, in in high school and whatever, midterms are like what December, right? H- midterm, right? Mid year. But here, man, like I feel like I've barely gotten to know the class and they're already testing us <laughs> for half, half the content. Um, so for me personally, I have a midterm this Thursday, math class, stressed, scared, nervous, nauseous. But what about you guys? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I would totally agree. So I think none of the classes I'm in right now have a like quote unquote midterm, but like this past week and this week have really been the times when all the first projects, essays, other big assignments are being due. So you've definitely felt the grind this the last seven days. And I know I'm going to feel it the next seven days. Today's Monday. So I'm assuming that by Friday, I'm going to be totally swamped. But yeah, I mean, it's definitely weird because I feel like maybe last week or the week before that, I just finally got into the routine, you know, getting used to the whole college life and deciding, okay, this day is when I have to focus on this class. This day is when I switch to this class. So it's definitely kind of hitting hard, but, um, you know, hopefully we can get through it. But this this weekend was, uh, this past weekend was pretty rough for me as well. I I had my first Xbox essay due, and then I've got the, uh, the physics midterm one of three uh, this this Thursday, so I'm not doing oh. the same way. And yeah, the, my math class 21A, we have five. They call them they're, they're called like five midterms, but they're barely even midterms at that point. Yeah, they're not. So yeah, it's it's five tests like every two weeks, which is great. great. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I I felt that last week I had an Xbox essay due on Thursday, and then I had a seminar essay due today, and I had I have a midterm going on right now. For my math class and then i have a go 20 essay due next week monday oh jeez. Wow. so i'm just curious we're surviving man sorry i said we're surviving it's yeah Thanks. i mean i'm just curious as well so like for tests and midterms how do you take that over zoom because I, I haven't had any of those yet so i'm just curious like how, how does that take place um my I, at least for me personally the math test was just basically honor coded open note you just yeah. take whatever during the day but i know the physics one uh, we're going to be taking it over Zoom, like with I think they we have to direct our camera to our paper, so they know we're not. Oh wow! That. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was the same for me. Like my math, the math midterm I'm taking right now, it's honor code system. It's like you can use pretty much anything goes except for another person. Like, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah for for mine as well. My my math midterm is open notes, open book, open anything. Well, not I guess not open friend and open internet. But those exams are the scariest because if the professor is so confident to say that your exam is open note and open book, chances are you probably won't necessarily need them right. for the exam, which in all regards is absolutely horrifying. But yeah, um, no, it's, it's interesting. Obviously, well, at least I can't extrapolate this to everyone. But, you know, in, in high school, right, th- there was ve- there was very little trust in in student honor, right? I mean, there were multiple mechanisms to prevent cheating and prevent that. I'm not saying that cheating is rampant here at Harvard, but I feel like there's a lot more trust vested in students to to uh, to to take exams honorably, right? Uh, and and I think that's that's a good thing. And you know, I've always heard this thing, right? Like, 
if your student, like this is in reference to a teacher, if your student is incentivized to cheat on whatever, a test, a quiz, is that really pointing at the student or is that more towards the incentives of the class and how that's structured? And I'm curious your thoughts on that, right? Is it, is it more because of the class, how it's structured to emphasize the grade over the learning or is it more because of the student and they were born mischievous, <laughs> you know? I don't know. I mean, that, that's a definitely a good question. And it's like, I feel like that's something I'd have to think about. I mean, obviously, I think that both the the uh, teacher and student each play a role, obviously, in, in ensuring that the classroom environment is a great one. Obviously, it's more so on the teacher, but also the student needs to, you know, come to class wanting to learn. You know what I mean? So that effort has to come from them. Um, but yeah, I mean, like to your earlier comment about all the trust that I think we're seeing here, I think especially this semester in this era of COVID-19, that exists a lot more because obviously a lot of assignments are now remote. And, you know, there are some assignments where they want you to really be limited uh, in the extent at which you're collaborating with other people. So for sure, there's a lot of trust. And I think obviously some of that, you wouldn't really see it to such an extent, I think, in a normal year. So I, I think it's definitely an, an interesting environment because I think teachers um, and professors are trying to really adapt as best as they can. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would totally agree that the trust level is, is really now incumbent upon the students. I almost no, yeah. say that trust is a major factor here. I think there's just so much incentive not to cheat. Like if you get caught here, there's mm. a lot of times there's no going back. And I think it's definitely, <laughs> it's definitely worth it to maybe take the B minus or C on the test and right. risk totally losing your chance at an education here at Harvard. So That's true. No, yeah, I definitely feel that. I, I, I do think though, that it's like also this attitude, it's like, if, you, if you're going to be at a place like Harvard and you're just going to cheat your way through, like, are you really kind of taking the value of everything that you're learning here and like the opportunity that you've been afforded, right? So it's like, I think that trust just comes with the fact that like, you picked your classes this semester, like, yeah, maybe you were stuck in some gen eds that are just trying to like, uh, just like get out the way. But at the same time, you're like choosing classes you mostly like. So even though there's a midterm or a paper or something like, I mean, you knew what you kind of were signing up for and you're curious and you're passionate about what you're learning. So I guess it really just comes back to yourself. If you're going to cheat on a midterm then, and you're not learning information for your own good, then it sucks. It's going to come back to bite you eventually. Yeah, I mean, I can tell you. So like, so one of the classes I'm in this year is CS50. And as part of their problem sets, they allow you to take, um, so they allow you to submit an assignment if you're more comfortable with CS or less comfortable. So it's like different versions of the same assignment. One is more difficult to accomplish, one is less difficult. And you know, I've in, in talking to different kids in the, from the class, I've met a couple who actually try to do both. And in talking to them, you know, they they genuinely do it because they want to practice, they want to learn that way. And so it's so interesting and awesome to come into contact with students who are learning to learn. They're not learning for the grade or learning for, you know, whatever will come on their transcript. But I mean, they're really trying to get the best out of their education. And so obviously I think that exists at a lot of different institutions, but to see that at Harvard as well, it just shows like what a, what a wonderful community I think we're a part of that so many students here are passionate about different things. And the fact that we have this liberal arts education that allows us to take classes about things that we're interested in, that really, I think, encourages students to dive in deep uh, to learn more about themselves and the world around them. Yeah, yeah. And that speaks, of course, to the, to the quality of education Right. Because, you know, like what Leo said, there's there's propriety now. Right. We have literally complete. Well, not complete freedom, but illusionary freedom <laughs> to, choose, <laughs> to, to choose whatever class we want. Right. Obviously, there's the um, whatever the 
the uh, requirements to meet, but th those almost seem meaningless when you consider the fact that I, I mean, I'm taking, I, so I did not pay attention to the, the uh, requirements at all this year, except for Xbox 20. And yet still, I somehow managed to satisfy like three of my general core uh, oh, wow. requ requirements. Um, but, you know, what I wanted to bring up though was how, again, to quickly go back to incentives, right? You know, and, and I keep bringing up high school because obviously that's the, the most recent experience that I've had. We're all first years. So I'm going to keep bringing that up. But in high school, it feels very grade pressured, right? I mean, it's hard. You hardly ever consider learning as the primary incentive. It's almost always the credential. And despite Harvard being known as a, I mean, a place for credentials, so Harvard credential is probably one of the most valuable credentials you can ever have. At the same time, from my personal experience so far, taking my classes, it really does incentivize you to learn, right? It, and that's multiple factors. The professors are fantastic. The content itself is specific yet broad. Uh, and of course, you pick that class. You are invested in it. I'm curious for you guys if that's the same thing. Yeah, I mean, I would totally agree. Um, oh, I'm sorry, John, go ahead. I mean, drop you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I think... I think right now, at least, I'm. First, I've I've never felt less pressure to get a good grade for some reason. Like I, I yeah, I don't I don't I don't know if that's just me. It might just be me, but like, like sure, I have a test coming up on Thursday, but like, I'm almost like at the point where, not 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 so much what happens happens because that seems kind of I guess, apathetic. But like, I feel like I've put in the work to learn. So if I don't succeed, then it's not really on me. Yes. Maybe maybe that's maybe that's the wrong way to think no. about it. But I, I feel less stressed for that reason. So Yeah, that's completely valid. Yeah. Fez, were you gonna say something? Yeah, I mean I was gonna say this kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier, but I think like in high school, while you are able to pick the classes you want to take, obviously there's not as much diversity in terms of <laughs> yeah. topic. Um, and so here, you know, when you open the course catalog, the PDF is like so long because they have like thousands of classes you can take and literally over almost every, in every like conceivable subject. So, I mean, you know, the classes I'm taking this semester, I, I was genuinely excited for because I, these were the classes that surrounded the different fields I was interested in. And I'm, and I see the thing is personally, I haven't decided on a concentration, but like each class I'm taking this year kind of relates to a different field that I'm interested in and wanted to explore. So part of the reason why I was excited was because this will kind of help me decide, you know, what I would like to do for the rest of my life. Um, and, and so far, I mean, I've been enjoying each one, but I mean, there's some classes I've been like, okay, maybe this isn't so much for me as a career option. Other classes where I've been more surprised and I've decided, you know, maybe this is something worth exploring. So, I mean, I would totally agree that, I mean, now it's, well, obviously the grade is still important. You are also just learning because you want to learn and you genuinely want to get that kind of insight, uh, for your future. So, I mean, I, I would absolutely agree with what John is saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, for God's sake, there's a class literally called tree on campus. I mean, I, I applied for that one first. Oh, you applied for that one. Yeah. I, if I was, if, yeah, if I, if I took a freshman seminar this year, I, I would have, that, that was my number one choice. I oh, mean, what's it about? Well, um, surprisingly it's about trees. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's everything about trees from the biology, even to like law, like do trees have rights, right? Like similarly how there's like anti animal cruelty laws. Mm. Is there do trees deserve anti cruelty laws for trees? I mean, can we 
just simply go around the trees and snap branches off and not expect repercussions. <laughs> you know, like uh, obviously I'm not taking the class, so I, I wouldn't know the answer to that. But um, you know, and again, like I think the beauty of all of this is that it really makes you consider what is meaningful education, right? Is it really the content that you're learning? Because like, sure, okay, tr yeah, you take the tree class, sure, take the tree class. Are you going to apply that those that tree knowledge to to your career or whatever? I would probably not, right? Maybe, maybe if you're looking to become a tree ar ar arborologist, is it? Is it an arborologist? Right. But, but the, the, the meaning of the education itself is, I think, the process of the learning, right? Like, easy example, and I'm, I'm, maybe you guys can give examples as well, but for my math class, right, it's, it's modeling, in, modeling in the life sciences, right, where you use calculus to model like predator-prey, or um, chemical kinetics, right? And on the Q guide specifically, I remember the specific comment. They said, you would probably never use these equations ever in your life, ever. You'll probably never apply this knowledge that you learn in class ever in your whatever you, even if you go into like bio, bio computation or biostatistics, you'll probably not use these. But the fact is that it teaches you a method of thinking and a method of analysis that is really useful if you take some liberty with applying it. Right. Sure. And I think all of us kind of have our foot in some sort of science, right? Math or physics or CS, uh, where that I think is a very justifiable reasoning, you know? Yeah. And I mean, like, it's, it's, it's not even about like applying it to your own life, but it's like there's some classes that just genuinely seem interesting where it's like, you know, why not just take it for fun? Like, see if there's that there's something here that, you know, you might pick up as a hobby. So, like, I mean, I don't know. It's like, obviously there's so many different clubs that you can definitely join to learn more about yourself. But I mean, there's a lot of classes too, where it's like, I know that that's not going to be a career I'm going to explore, but I'm still just genuinely interested to, to learn more about that because that topic seems fascinating and maybe I don't have experience in it, but I'd like to at least have my foot in the door. So, I mean, see, and I, I'm sorry, I'm going back to I'm like stating what I said before again, but it's like, I mean, that's kind of the beauty of this liberal arts education where it's not like you're confined to a single course and you can't look beyond that. You don't have blinders on. It's like, you can really just, you know, explore the world around you. So, I mean, I, I think that's part of the reason why I know there's so many campuses that have that, but I mean, I think that's part of the reason why Harvard is, is what it is. Right. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, what's interesting as well when it comes to like learning in classes and stuff like that. Um, I think it is like, I think a Harvard education is like a microcosm of what your life should be, right? Or, or however you design your Harvard education. I know some people are like in thousands of extracurriculars. Wait, I, I don't even know why I'm saying they. I'm, I'm also part of an, a healthy amount as well. I think we all are. It's a lot of just like rejection that it's me, but it, it's all of us. I feel like. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. For sure. But I mean, I mean, so far to 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 uh, gauge the room here is, are there any organizations or sports teams that you are like for sure, you know, a hundred percent dedicated, like you are following through this semester, right? Is there, is there anyone that you know you're entrenched in? The Crimson for me, for sure. Oh, snap! You're copying the Crimson. Which 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 department? Editorial. Ah, yeah, there we go. Yeah, good yeah, one. yeah, no, for me, I'm doing a citizenship tutoring through the IOP. So we like work with like um, people like that work for HUDs or for like dorm crew or just like around campus um, that are like working on getting their citizenship. So whether it's like helping fill out the application to like teaching American history, it's prepping for interview and stuff like that. 
so yeah, it's it, it, I mean it's low commitment like time wise, but like I'll, like physically tutoring, I think it's just an hour or two a week. Um, but just like preparing, and it's it's like a, a lot of responsibility that um that you take on, right? Like mm -hmm. small mistake, and you can set somebody's citizenship oh. seven years. So like uh yeah, uh it's it, you you definitely gotta know what you're doing. But uh, it, it's something that I like really look forward to and, and I value a lot. So I'm, I'm excited to. I mean, the impact is tremendous because, you know, you're, you're changing someone's life for the better. And I mean, providing them a new world of opportunity. So, I mean, you know, good for you, Leo. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I definitely I say John as well. You know, John, you, you, you let us know beforehand. So you're walking on to the heavyweight rowing at Harvard, what but you have no experience in it at all. I want to hear what, what was, what led you to that decision? That sounds amazing. Oh boy. Um, honestly, like, so my, my whole mindset going into, I guess, applying to Harvard was like, you know, like it's, it's like, it's, it's such a huge if that it's basically not even worth thinking about. So I guess my mindset was like, if, if I get in, you know, I'll just like stick with the classic Harvard tradition and become, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's just, it, it, it seems like such an Ivy league sport. Oh yeah. So You know what? So like, I guess I just wanted to maybe, be part of that stereotype maybe <laughs> yeah yeah no reason to shy away from it but um i mean have you, have you done any training so far or oh uh, yeah we actually started practice today oh snap how was that um it was it's like they said like for the for the new guys it's mostly instructional they're not like beating the crap out of us yet but we kind of <laughs> just learn the ropes talk to the coaching staff we we went, we went to the boathouse which is kind of cool Nice. How, how early is that? Was that like in the morning or was it just like regular um, time? Varsity is going to be in the morning, but we're going to be afternoons. Oh, cool. So today was at like 5 p.m., but afterwards it's probably going to be like 2. I don't know. Sure. That's good. Yeah. Terrible, to be honest, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I really do. I mean, just looking at rowing, it seems like a very beautiful sport because like it's graceful. It's smooth. Um, but you know, I, I must exert like every muscle in the body, like the arms. Oh, yeah, actually, just, not thinking what you said there, David. Um, the first thing they said was that crew is not meant to be pretty. They, they, <laughs> they, 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 like, they had, they had a whole spiel about, it's just about getting there fast and doing like what the heck you have to do to do it. So, yeah, I mean, I feel like there's uh, has to be a lot of like organization and like coordination on the teams. It's like the pace is important. Like everybody has to be on board. I mean, very much a, a team sport. For sure. Yeah, I feel like rowing is almost like NASCAR racing because, like, I, I, obviously, I don't know much about NASCAR, but it feels like, like, how, like, you start the race, how the, like, how can you determine the winner if it's like four hundred laps later, right? And I, like, same thing with rowing; it's such a long distance, or at least for I don't know exactly the the race distance, but um, you know, like it, like just for example, like the a mile run, right? I mean, you can generally see like people move ahead, move behind pretty easily. But for rowing, I feel like it's it's difficult to like, um, you know, get. I don't even know how to describe it. But like, I mean, like, so so John, have you like rowed before or like got in, got into a row rowing machine? Uh, the machine, yeah, not a boat though. Which is the first thing they're teaching us is how to not. They they said how we're not. They basically told us like you could drown and die if you like don't know how to use it. So that's. Oh. Mm. But yeah, in that's... terms of in terms of the race itself, they're usually. For how long of a distance it is, they're usually not very close races. Right. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean it's usually like a at least like a boat length or two, right? From what I've heard, yeah. Okay. And then yeah. Leo, are you doing any sports or are you in the same, I guess the same pun boat as me and not doing any 
no, I uh, I'm doing sports on my own. I mean, I was gonna do like, I don't think any of like the club sports are exactly active. Um, I was gonna do climbing, but a lot of the upperclassmen are off campus, so I just climb on like on my own. Uh, and then soccer, but some of the guys we just get together and just like go kick the ball around on the weekends. So. And, and you founded a climbing team in high school as well, right? I, I know you yeah. said Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it was a really, really cool experience. So I spent some time in Colorado in my summers in high school. Hmm. And, uh, just got super into climbing. And then there's a teacher um, that he was also huge on climbing. And we were like, you know what? Let's see what we can do. Uh, and then we like talked to a few people, like companies and gyms and see who would, uh, who would sponsor us. And that was really cool. Mostly like well, just bringing it all together and then recruiting people uh and then COVID hit um but you know uh, that's usually how stories in 2020 go right <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like all of us were working on something and then COVID hit boom it's over yeah it's the same exact thing this cool thing would have happened basically <laughs> um wait for definitional purposes so when you say climbing are you talking about like indoor gym climbing or like outdoor rock climbing yeah so I've done a little bit of both like just personally um but like um, I've right now I'm just doing indoor climbing. It's a really good way to like, just build that muscle for like outside, especially when it gets cold out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like in other years, I'm, I'm really excited. Like we're surrounded by so many good climbing spots, like not just here in Massachusetts, but like in New Hampshire and Vermont, like, those are just beautiful, beautiful places to go climbing. Are you yeah. thinking of maybe creating a uh, climbing club here at Harvard, Leo? There, there, there already is one. Uh, I was, yeah, yeah, I was gonna, I was comping it, I, uh, but, um, like, <laughs> And then I was like, yeah, I, I, I can't. The if whole you... virtual club sport thing is, is not the move this year. It's yeah. not. Yeah, I know. I mean, how does that even work? I feel like it'd be really difficult, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I comped, well, I, it's not even a comp. You just, you just signed up for the email list, but for Harvard Swim Club. Oh, um, I, did, I did too, originally. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, I mean, they're doing Zoom dryland workouts, which, you know, hey, hey, props to them for like doing this consistently. But it does not hit the same thing. It, it's it it just hits different, man. Thankfully, they opened the Mac, the the Malkin Athletic Center, so I've been able to swim in the morning. Um, and for 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 awareness here, I so I lived in California, and there's no such thing as an indoor pool in California. So I actually got to swim in an yeah. indoor pool for the very first time at the Mac. Yo, it is it is a completely different experience. First of all, it feels like you're breathing through a pillow. Um, because it's indoors and it's like all stuffy, um, but it's great. You don't how, to... how does the pool system work? Is it like, are there like uh, separation? Like, is there a lot of separation between people swimming? Or yes, yeah. First, of, first of all, the the restrictions in the MAC is ridiculous. Like, they cordon off the locker room so you can't stay in there for very long. Um, three people max per room. Um, obviously, weights and all that have to be wiped down thoroughly after you use them. And every every hour the Mac closes for 30 minutes so the staff can disinfect the entire gym and then it reopens for another hour. Right. So it is very thorough. And same thing with the pool. Um, you actually have to wear your mask while you, su- no, I'm just kidding. No, you don't. But, um, <laughs> what? Um, no. Just like a <laughs> no. deep sea mask, you know? Right. Just, what? just like scuba dive, just scuba dive. <laughs> yeah. Like the, dude, you can get waterboarded by your own mask if you do that. But um, no, but uh, yeah, so it's a six lane pool. So it's not a massive pool, but, three lanes are open so every other lane is open um and you have to reserve beforehand and the pool because the gym has like what like 70 open spots but the pool has three so generally speaking you have to register like a week in advance (laughs) get the spot um and but what sucks is that like most of i I went this morning at 8 30 and i was the only one there 
So the people who signed up didn't even go. And I feel like it's kind of messed up because like, yeah, sure, you reserve that spot and then you just never anyways. But well, how long before do you have to reserve it? I'm just curious. Is it like a week, a few days or? Well, you know, on the website, it's it's as long as you register the day before, you're fine. But by oh. then, generally, the spots are already taken up. Sure. Right. So it's it's it goes on for that like for a whole week. Um, so um, but yeah, I mean, it was nice. It was nice. Um that still, uh, yo, individual swimming is not the same, man. I, I'm sure for Leo as well, like, because climbing is could both be like a group activity yeah. as well as an individual activity. I don't know exactly for climbing, but for swimming, swimming by yourself is, yeah, <laughs> depressing. Yeah. Yeah, I did a little bit of that this summer, and I, I just, it's too hard to stay consistent. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like yeah. you don't have anybody to like push you. I was just like, I would just chill in there while the old guys were walking by and. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just it's nowhere near the same. I feel you. So it's like, before we move off from this topic, though, I definitely want to say like, shout out to all the clubs and then also just like Harvard for, you know, starting to open up these facilities for students to use, but it's like for clubs as well. I mean, a lot of them have just been like so independent and really taking the initiative to try to at least have something going on in the virtual sphere. So, I mean, that's been really awesome to see. And I know that it it, obviously it's, it's very difficult and unprecedented for them to have to do that. So I think all of us freshmen definitely appreciate it, but you know, I, I know we're getting closer to the time where we probably have to wrap up. But before we do, I, I really wanted to talk about this. And I know David's going to get super hyped when I when I mention it. Um, you know, Leo, you, you told us beforehand that you had that, you know, when you were in high school, you helped, uh, you know, reform your charter school. And I just wanted to, you know, give you that kind of platform to discuss what that process was like, because I think that that sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, so, I mean, the charter school system, I can, I, we can probably do a whole series, a whole podcast series on my thoughts on that. But um, David will make it happen. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know, man. Let me know. Um, but no, uh, there was just a lot of problems with like, especially after like um, in the wake of like uh, the death of George Floyd and just like the larger like Black Lives Matter like movement that has or the way it's it, it's like jumped into the mainstream media way more this like past summer and now. Um, it was a lot of like just coming to terms with like the fact that charter schools on paper are made for like specifically like um, students of color, low income students and like providing their, providing them with an opportunity to like close the achievement gap to use that, that jargon. Um, and it sounds really good on paper. It sounds like, you know, like this is the way that education should go, but in practice it can actually be implement, implemented in very like, um, uh, just sort of to call it out in very racist ways, um, in very white saviory ways. Um, so it was a lot of just like having those really honest discussions of like, not just when I was like, you know, uh, I, it just started like sophomore year, but like after like I graduated and stuff, like having those discussions and like the fact that like there's some policies that just like don't need to happen. Um, and sort of like rooting um, my, my helping root my charter school more in like the social justice uh, sphere. And like, um, not just like being a school and doing what, like providing education students, but also just like building that self-esteem, especially, um, I feel like it's uh, important for BIPOC, like, um, young students to really build that self-esteem, both academically and socially, especially when you're pursuing, like, higher education. Um, so, yeah, just having those honest conversations and um, just checking in, like, here and there, uh, how it's been going. It's a little difficult because everything's virtual now, so there's no exactly, like, a, it's a behavior system, but, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been ongoing, and there's a lot of honest conversation going about Right, what school should look like. Yeah, yeah, and I in 
in keeping with that spirit of honest conversation, I was hoping to, I mean, ask you, like, what are there any specific examples or observations of how execution and the idea, the, the dichotomy between the idea and the execution, right? Because like you said, on paper, as with most things that are said in education, right? Like classic example, the, the policy, no child left behind on paper in words sounds fantastic. Who wants to leave children behind? If you, if you do, you're, you're crazy, you know, but then on practice, it was so detrimental to the functioning of many schools that ironically it left many children behind and same exact situation here right on paper charter schools were designed for you know to to bridge this gap but like you said it doesn't and so how exactly have you witnessed that it doesn't right it fails to live up to its name yeah um so in, in my charter school at least um we had to wear a uniform every day right and every i say that it's like yeah uniform you know you can wake up like super late you don't have to worry about what you're wearing <laughs> just like stops like this judgment based on like socioeconomic class and like what people are wearing um but when you have very strict behavior or sorry uniform standard it's like uh i i wasn't personally involved in like the movement at my school but there was this huge movement i remember sophomore year the fact that like um head wraps were um were banned um not like for religious reasons just like for other reasons but like um i know there was a large movement of the fact that like head wraps and like do rags um usually associated, oh, the first association was like, oh, like a gang affiliation. And it's like my entire, my entire school is like, it was full of like black and brown students. And it's like, if that's the first um, assumption that your school says about something like a head wrap or a do-rag, then what are you trying to say about their students? Um, so yeah, it was just like, and it's not always just like, it's, it's hardly ever a gang affiliation. It's mostly a cultural thing, or um, it's like, uh, just like something you wear that just makes you feel good about yourself, you know, um, like whether it be with different prints or like just different um, things like that, like they're, they're beautiful. And um, just like allowing that to happen instead of just like these stringent uniform like restrictions, uh, it's one, a way to build self-esteem and also sort of like the self-expression and which I feel like what education in high school should really be about. Um, yeah, that's my, that's my little soapbox on that. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't know if anyone else has like thoughts on, conformity but it I've, I've always had a tough time supporting it because i don't know i've seen the worst of conformity when people's voices are stifled in high school uh you know in a setting of conformity specifically in regards to behavior right oftentimes it's biased towards one type of character right oh generally you want to be quiet and non-disruptive but sometimes you know having a disruptive class however you may want to interpret that may may be effective when it comes to like you know however you design your classroom but i don't know i i was fortunate enough i think to have had teachers specifically high school um to not really embrace conformity too much and to allow for a little bit of expressiveness that of course you know occasionally snowballs into a transgression but uh more or less, I think the benefits are there. But I think the great thing about Harvard is that there is no such thing as conformity here. I mean, not a single ounce. You can't find a gram of conformity here, which is just why it's so beautiful. But um, I don't know. Hot topics. Oh, sorry. Hot takes on conformity. Maybe maybe it's a good thing. In some regards, I may be missing a few things regarding that. Like I've heard, for instance, the argument that like ultimately society 
is all about conformity. So schools are meant to replicate that, like workforce, right? You don't want to interrupt your boss or whatever. I don't know about that, but I'm curious your thoughts as well. John, do you want to go first? Oh, yeah, I guess something that I guess, I think more of an example, when I think about conformity, I think more of an example, I guess, in my personal life than any, I guess, deeper opinion on it. I, I consider myself to be, to an extent, a conformist, just because I have difficulty with the repercussions of not following that kind of mindset. But I, at least back in my high school, I know there was a huge issue, um, kind of similar to what Leah was talking about. Uh, at our at our graduation ceremony, there was a huge push uh, by the students to wear. Uh, it was, I believe, and um, if I'm mistaken, I, I apologize to all the affected parties, but I think it was, there was this idea of wearing sashes that uh, represented their ethnic background, um, specifically students of, of color. And this, this brought up a huge uh, debate with the uh, administration and the school board about just not letting them do it. And there was this reasoning, just why? Like, why can't you, why can't you wear it? Oh, because it would change how the graduating class looks when they march across the stage. And I think going that far to sacrifice self-expression and identity for the idea of conformity, that's too far. And this was mm. really just a battle with administration. All, a lot of the teachers supported it. All, all, almost all the students supported it. So this was just kind of, I guess, just a relevant topic about where conformity, I guess, where the line needs to be drawn. Yeah, I yeah, agree. I, mean, I, I would totally agree, I think, with what, what everyone has said that, you know, especially in an educational arena and institution, diversity should be fostered and facilitated because I think all of us are unique and different in our own way. And I think that we should be encouraged to explore that uniqueness. Uh, and, and that should absolutely be um, almost empowered uh, but then obviously on the, on the opposite end, you know, being reasonable that there are some like standards, I won't use standards, but I mean, to what David was saying earlier in terms of like transgressions, there's certainly some lines that obviously in behavior, for example, that one wouldn't need to cross. But in terms of the creativity and just exploration of all these arenas, I think that the world's smartest thinkers, um, you know, were people who, who decided to take that risk and really explore something. And, you know, I always kind of wonder that maybe there is somebody out there um, in a very disadvantaged situation who, who has that kind of potential, but it just hasn't been properly facilitated. And I know, David, you've talked about that in previous podcasts as well, but that's where the importance of education comes in, um, you know, empowering students uh, to reach that kind of level. But I mean, all I can say, you know, to David's earlier point is that I think I'm very lucky, and I think we're all very lucky that we're at an institution like Harvard, where every student is unique in their own way. And so we comprise this diverse class that comes from many different backgrounds, interests, ideologies, cultures, races, etc. Yet we're united in where we are in a sense united by our diversity. Um, and that's something that I think this podcast is all about that we're so lucky that every week we're able to have on guests who come from these different backgrounds and we can share that with our audiences. So, you know, I guess since we're reaching that time, I mean, on, on that inspirational note, um, <laughs> I, I just want to, you know, absolutely thank John and Leo for taking the time to come on here. It was Really, really great to hear about your guys' backgrounds, what you're doing at Harvard. And definitely, I think based on the conversations we've had here today, we need to have both of you guys on again to, you know, to expand upon these because this was really, really fun. At, at, it's now 11.10 at night, but I think I could go on past midnight. So I think we should wait for 11.11 to call it. Do you guys agree? Oh, poetic. Hey, what do you say? We got to finish at 11.11. Oh, there we go. There we go. 11, 11. Oh, there we go. All right. Well, there we go. 11.11. Nice.
All right. Thank you guys for having, having right. us. Thank you.